Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome back to You is for Unconditional Election. I hope you listened to part one where we talked about the two antecedents to the doctrine of unconditional election. We talked about a bunch of other stuff too, but those were uh, a bonus. The doctrine of election is very easy to say and much harder to grasp. And, and frankly, my experience is that some people have more trouble with it than others, grasping it, accepting it. I don't know where you're going to fall along that continuum, but uh, we'll talk about it and then you can think about it. Maybe go back and reread some verses and uh, see where you come down on it. Um, the doctrine of election says that God sovereignly chooses that some will be saved. He, uh, we're going to talk more about the, the flip side of that. But God in his sovereignty chooses uh, to elect. Um, That's redundant, huh? He elects some to salvation. He chooses some individuals to salvation. Uh, He did that with nations. He did that with Israel. He tells them in Deuteronomy um, and in Exodus, he says, I chose you, not because you were the best looking or the largest or the most powerful or the smartest. I chose you because I chose you. That's all. It was just me and my sovereign grace that chose you and set you above all the nations on earth. That is uh, the sovereignty of God in election, in choosing Israel. But that happens on an individual level, too, with regard to salvation. And, and you know what? Like I said, some people have trouble with this, and I don't know how you can get around it. It, it, is, it just appears so often in Scripture. Um, he, chose, he chooses those who are saved. Ephesians chapter 1. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You go get your Bible and you turn to Ephesians 1 and underline verse 4 and 5 and double underline, even as he chose us in him, now here, before the foundation of the world. This was before, obviously, we had done anything. He elected, he chose to save me in eternity past. I can't wrap my head around that concept, um, eternity past. But Ephesians 1 says, that's when he did it. Christ said to the twelve, You did not chose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. John fifteen sixteen. 16. Uh, but wait, there's, there's more. John 6:44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, there's one that is tied very tightly to the first antecedent, our uh, total depravity and our complete inability to to go to God. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We are entirely dependent upon the gracious drawing, the tugging of God, who reaches out and draws some, not all, some to himself. That is the doctrine of election. 
specifically with regard to salvation. Now, as we said, uh, there is election with regard to the nation of Israel. Here we are talking about election, about God's sovereign choosing of those who will be saved. John 6, 37, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Again, total depravity. God has to be the initiator of this action. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In Acts 13.48, um, Paul is, is Paul's out preaching. It's what he does, and he's preaching the gospel. And uh, in verse 48 of 13, we read, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. See, uh, Luke is writing this, huh? And Luke understands the doctrine of election. And he adds, uh, first he states the facts that were obvious. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And then he adds, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And it is the work of the Father that draws us to salvation, to Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of election, the sovereign will of God and the good pleasure, the grace of God. Um, it It is entirely and always efficacious. Remember, I, I referred to at the beginning the acrostic TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, that is just a, a mnemonic, a memory device to help us remember uh, what Calvin wrote about. Again, it's biblical. Calvin wrote about it effectively. And TULIP is an acrostic that helps us summarize what Calvin wrote. And the I in TULIP stands for irresistible grace. Those whom God elects will be saved. If he reached out and chose you before the foundation of the world, when the time came, you could not resist that. God's grace is too powerful for you to resist, for you to turn away and go your own way. God's sovereign election is always efficacious. It it, it works. It is irresistible. It is from eternity past. And that is important, again, because it says you didn't have anything to do with it. And it is unconditional. You didn't do anything for it. You didn't meet any conditions. You didn't meet any criteria. Uh, the, The old hymn, just as I am, huh? It's just me. I can't fix myself up. I can't reach some level where, where I'm good enough to be accepted by you. The sinners on the cross. Um... Oh, there's more I can't talk about. Oh, goodness. Listen, God's God's love and God's grace is perfectly unconditional. We talk about unconditional love in marriage or in relationships. We do our best. We fail at it. God's grace in choosing us is truly unconditional. We did absolutely nothing to deserve it, to warrant it. Why? Because total depravity says we are incapable of doing anything. Um, Okay, now, without getting too far into the weeds, we talk about the decree to salvation. The decree means, uh, that term means, 
that before the foundation of the world, God in his sovereignty elected certain individuals, chose certain individuals. He decreed by his sovereignty that Craig MacDonald would become a child of God. And there was a point in history, a point in time in space, when he went to work on Craig MacDonald, and he drew Craig MacDonald to himself. Had he not drawn me, I never would have come. huh? Um, but he drew me to himself, and I was irresistibly saved. you understand? Irresistibly saved. The question then comes, how many decrees are there? Some will talk about double predestination. What that means is God chose who would be saved and God chose who would not be saved. He decreed that these individuals would receive his efficacious grace and these would not. And, and he did not draw them. By decree, he did not draw them. Um, there is, at least I am, I am th- completely unaware of any scripture that talks about what's called a decree to reprobation. And what that means is a decree to damnation, huh? A decree to salvation and a corresponding decree to damnation. I can't think of a single scripture that indicates that. However, it does seem, as we read the Bible, that God chooses from, uh, to put it poorly, God chooses from the pile of humanity whom he will save by his sovereign grace. He chooses this person and that person and this person and that person. And it is not that he chose the others and decreed them to damnation. What he did was leave them in their damnable state. He did not intervene. He did not draw them to himself. He just left them to the consequences of their own total depravity. That may seem like a fine point, an academic point, but listen, it comes up. It's worth noting uh, as one of the issues we have to deal with. It's interesting that John Calvin said that the decree to damnation, that double predestination, another term that's used, the double predestination was a horrible doctrine, and he hated it, and he found it to be true. He couldn't come up with any way around it, and so as much as he hated it, uh, he accepted it as truth. All right, who am I to argue with John Calvin? He was just a wee bit smarter than I am. However, I'm going to take issue with that, and I'm going to say I don't see any biblical evidence for it. And I think that there is, therefore, one decree, a decree to elect from the pit, if you will, those who will be saved and leave the rest to their own devices, as my grandmother would say. Uh, That, then is the doctrine of unconditional election. I hope now that term makes a little more sense to you. The question is, what do we do with it? Like I said, some people have a horrible time accepting that God can decree and elect some and not others. And and I'm going to go back to the parable of the vineyard and and say, listen, um, does he not have the right to do what he wants with what he has if he chooses to, to to reward a guy who worked one hour with a denarius and a guy who worked 12 hours with the same one denarius, isn't that his right to do? And who am I, again, Romans 9, who am I to say to the potter, why do you make some vessels of honor and some vessels of dishonor? I submit to the sovereign will 
of the so so here's where it's problematic um and and here is where frankly i think it is an issue of pride or humility huh if uh, this is this is hard saying but if i reject the doctrine of predestination of unconditional election i am as we've seen rejecting the clear teaching of Scripture, not in one verse or two, but in many passages. In both the Old and the New Testament, it's stated more clearly in the New Testament, but it's found in the Old Testament as well, Um, again, as illustrated by the nation of Israel. And if I reject this doctrine, there is a certain pride, a certain hubris that says, because I can't wrap a wrap of my head around it, because it doesn't seem fair to me, it cannot be. Uh, Isaiah 55 says, God says, My ways are not your ways, and your ways are not my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And and so I come humbly and I say, I don't get this. And and there are times when I don't like it at all. Um, when I when I witness to Noel, my neighbor down the street who had ALS. When I try my best to have conversations with him about what's going what's gonna to come of him after the inevitable death that he is uh, months away from, and he rejects it, and he rejects it, and his wife says, please keep talking to him about it. Keep talking to him about it. And I do. And sometimes he says, thank you, but I, I really don't want to talk about this. Um, and he says that graciously. Other times he says, be quiet. Uh, and, and I go home feeling awkward and, and feeling a little embarrassed, but realizing, wait a minute, we're talking about Noel's eternal destiny here. I'm going to keep talking to him. And if he gets offended and, and if he gets angry with me, I'm a big boy. I can deal with this. And then Noel dies of ALS. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, never came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, never accepted what God did for him. And and I grieve for Noel. He was such a strong personality. That was part of the problem. He was so proud. Well, he was a proud man. He, he became very, very wealthy, though he was born in abject poverty. Just by, by intelligence and hard work, he became very wealthy, proud man. And he told me, I cannot accept the fact that Jesus Christ would pay for my sins. He didn't have any problem with the deity of Christ. He didn't have any problem with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He just rejected that it made any sense that, that, that Christ died for his sins. Couldn't His pride wouldn't allow him to do that. Now, I was not there when he died. Um, in fact, they, went, they were snowbirds, and they went back to Minnesota every summer, and he died while they were back in Minnesota. But to my knowledge, and after a conversation with his wife, he never accepted the gift of salvation. I have two responses to that. I, I grieve because Noel's pride got in the way. And at the same time, I say, if God had chosen Noel, if God had elected Noel for salvation, Noel would have been saved. Now, understanding it's entirely possible he was in my absence, that in his 11th hour. But so far as I know, um, that means that God did not elect. God did not choose Noel. Is God therefore unfair and unrighteous? The answer is no. Can't wrap my head around that, but I don't have to wrap my head around it. 
I don't want to be so arrogant that if I can't understand it, it can't be true. If I read it in the Bible, it is what it is. It is the truth. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. So what have we got when we come to the end? We'd better be humble. We better recognize that no part of our salvation has anything to do with us. It is only God's work. We'd better be uh, grateful people. We better live a life of thanksgiving because in him, Paul says, we live and move and have our being. He is everything. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll keep going here. And we should live lives of service. Pam's uncle, I don't know if you know them. Some of you might know the name Wayne Webb. He died, oh man, probably 15, 20 years ago. Interesting guy. He was a pastor. He also spoke a lot at uh, camp, at youth camps for elementary age and junior high kids because his shtick was too unsophisticated for high school kids, but he was very effective with younger kids. Uh, he did some crazy stuff. He also had a remarkable God-given musical talent. Um, it was kind of rough around the edges. Nobody was going to consider this guy uh, a composer, but he wrote songs, and they were catchy tunes. And I can still remember and sing so many of them today, even though I was in fourth and fifth grade when I heard them and sang them at camp while he played the piano or the accordion or the nose whistle or whatever, these musical instruments he made. One of them was, After All He's Done For Me. After all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best? After all he's done for me. Uh, the, the sovereign grace of God that chose me to be one of his children ought to motivate me to service, to live my life in a way that um, is not for my own benefit and gain, but for the gain of the body of Christ, for God and his people and the church. That's what the sovereign will of God should do, the sovereign will of God as its evidence in my salvation. All right, there it is. Again, part two is a little short, but that's okay. We're going to stop here, and uh, I, I hope this episode has been helpful, and I hope that by next week we're back on schedule. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this down, and I'm going to uh, go grab a little something to eat and then edit this, do what's called post-production work, and then post it. I apologize that it's going to be about 12 hours later, but again, hope you found it helpful. Hey, God bless.